to be here. Oh, thrill. We are joined with a special guest tonight, Houston Street. Welcome, dude. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Right back at you, Houston, man. Congratulations. Thank you, dude. Thanks to be on the show. It's good to have a, uh, first off, a pitcher uh, in the middle of these hitters. That's first off. But then uh, second off, you know, a hell of a quality closer you were for a long time, man. You you saw the you saw the nitty gritty from uh, from the end of the game. So nice job. So Thank you, thrill. You mentioned it off the right off the get. As soon as I mentioned that Houston and I were staying in the same house, he goes University of Texas boy. I saw. Her. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool right now, hey, dude. I'm hey. finishing up. So, Look, so, you, you watch him when he's on TV and closing out the games, and then all of a sudden, two years later, he's in the show punching people out, man. So there, you said closing out games because basically you reinvented the closer role at University of Texas, literally closing out games five, six, seven innings. Well, yeah, that, that was uh... – Yes, kind of. I mean, there were some guys who did it before me, right? There were other guys at UT. We had Brooks Kieschnick who came in. Um, yeah, Jesse Crane did it in Houston, but most everybody, Chad Cordero. But my role kind of expanded to if we were winning after five, I was in the game. And we also had a lot of other studs on the team. We had J.P. Howell and Drew Stubbs and Curtis Thigpen and Sam LeCure. And a, we had, we had a, a lot of big leaguers. So we were winning a lot of games by six, seven runs. So we had the luxury of saying, all right, we're up by one in the fifth streets in. He's going to go four on Friday and maybe one or two on Sunday. And you had the luxury to play for Augie Garrido. The best, the best, the best. Fucking savage. Yes. I literally was talking about him uh, the other day with somebody and just kind of talking about how and what's fascinating is I'll go back and watch on some of the YouTube and things, not the one where he's screaming that everybody knows, but some of these other smaller videos. And we have footage of him, too, at UT and, like, the archives. And just the beauty of what he talks about, the process and staying in the moment and trusting yourself and relationships, right? Like, this entire idea of, like, the number one reward in the game is not success or championships, but relationships, mm-hmm. respect. And... uh and he taught us that, and he, he made us a good team, too. Like, that was the whole point, right? Like, we wanted to earn each other's respect, and by doing that, we worked our asses off. And by working our asses off, we got good, and then we made each other better. But, I mean, he didn't care if we fought in practice. He did, he loved intensity. He loved the idea of a best effort staying in the process. Thrill, did you know Augie Garrido? I knew Augie real well. Class, class individual. I mean, one of the best, sure. you know, coaches that were out there, you know, on the college level. I mean – Love him to death. He did a great job on the West Coast. Came came to uh, Texas and didn't miss a beat and had some freaking unbelievable teams, of which Houston was a big part of. So you had the luxury to play for a guy that I got to meet and spend some time with at your retirement ceremony through, and that was Ron Polk. Ron Polk, you know, another another one of the classy, classy coaches in college baseball, uh, a baseball lifer. Uh, he just turned 80 years old. Uh, originally came from Tucson, Arizona, was his home. He he kind of uh, got his coaching uh, teeth wet uh, in uh, in Florida. Went to Georgia Southern, and then after that, came to Mississippi State and became a college Hall of Fame coach. You know, as did 
you know, Skip Bertman. Skip Bertman came from Miami, went to LSU, Hall of Fame coach. Augie Garrido went from the West Coast to Texas, Hall of Fame coach. I mean, on the coaching level right now, I mean, it's it's pretty special to watch some of these guys get inducted into the College Hall of Fame. They're awesome. So when I got to the big leagues, I remember I got called up. I was in Cleveland, mm-hmm. and then I went home, got back to Oakland. And on my chair was a handwritten card from Ron Polk. No yep. worries. Congratulating me for getting to the big leagues. That's and that. so what he would do is he would send a card to every player that played for him or played against him yeah. who got to the big leagues. So fucking awesome. Thoughtful, yeah. considerate, yeah. just old school in every which way you can imagine. That, you, that's you, how it you, should you, be. You loved her. You loved her, right? right? Well, I mean, well, I actually have a similar moment in my life was Roger Clemens. Like I was oh. sitting after my very first outing, very first outing, I'm sitting in Baltimore and I get back to my hotel room. I'm now like officially a big leaguer, right? Like you've, You've, you've stepped on the field. You've made an appearance. You have a game. And my phone rings. I don't know who it is, but it's I see the number. And I answer, and he's like, I was like, hello? And, you know, back then it's the flip phone, right? So you can't see it, right? You know, you flip it open. And uh, it was 05, and, and it was like, hey, Houston, it's Rocket. And I was like, Roger, yes, sir? And he was like, hey, man, just want to congratulate you on being a big leaguer. It's forever now. You fulfilled your dream. Go out there, you know, and kept it short, kept it sweet, sure. kept it simple. But like, Roger Clemens just called me on my phone, and he was still pitching. At the he time. was still pitching. Yeah, well, he, we were teammates the next year on the on the uh, the w, the World Baseball Classic team. But you know, as a player, like to be able to pay it forward, to be able to do that, to show that respect, uh, because it is. We all know how special it was that first day, that first time when you are a big leaguer. There's nothing cooler than that in the world in your own mind. And then to have that recognized by these other dudes who like, you know, it's Roger Clemens. Yeah, you know, I think I think that that's that's an awesome point you just made there, Houston. Is you know you tr- you try to pay it forward, and you know, so like, you know, Eb knows because we talk about it a lot. But I mean, I go around, I see everybody on my league side of things, and you know, if the guys make you know the big league team, that's the first thing I do. I drop them a little text. Hey, man, mm-hmm. congratulations on the hard work. You know, all the effort that you put in you know, got you there. Now put the hard work in to stay there and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Like you said, keep it short and sweet, but acknowledge the fact that, Hey, look, you know, now you wanted a gang, you know, you are. Cause once you're a big leader, you're always a big leader. You made it. So you know? when, when Roger called though, it, it really wasn't like, yo, Houston, Roger, he goes, yo, Houston, <laughs> I knew you were gonna say, <laughs> it's yeah. a rocket. Hey, say, Houston, it's rocket. <laughs> oh, yeah. So good. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah. And yeah. Then- but the thrill, you could probably relate, right? I mean, no, nah, Hey, I was just with, I told you, I was just with uh rocket about two or three weeks ago. They had a big, uh, you know, fundraiser down here for the Louisiana sports hall of fame. And it wound up being a big LSU thing, but, uh, you know, rocket was a special guest and I was able to go spend, you know, 20 minutes, 20 minutes with him in the green room, you know, before the thing got going, uh, took a picture with Trey with him and stuff like that, you know, my son. And, uh, you know, it's, it's special. I mean, because Roger and I faced each other in college, we faced each other on every, every facet of the major league side of things. And you get that respect. I mean, you know, you just really do get that respect. And, uh, you know, that, that would be like, that would be like, you know, me or you facing, facing Houston. You know, it's like, hey, look, man, I got a stud that's out there on the hill here. You know, I got my work cut out for me. I got to pin my ears back because guess what? If you don't treat it as such, 
you know, a guy like Houston is so good, he'll just bury your ass. And that's the way it is. So we were in Vegas with Zito and Heron, Heron and whoever else, right? Just imagine the ultimate shit show thrill. And we're <laughs> running around this fucking city like chickens with our heads cut off. That was 05? Yeah, it sounds about right. I can't remember. Yeah. And so we're upstairs at the Palms Hotel at whatever club it was. And it yeah. was thumping, man. I'm at bottles, bottles, all of it, dude. And sure enough, in the midst of this, and imagine the scene, right? Dimes everywhere. In walks Roger Clements. It was like the parting of the fucking seas. Whatever I was doing, whatever Heron was doing, whatever Zito was doing, whatever you were doing, we just fucking stopped. And it was like, rocket. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no fucking shit, dude. Holy cow. It's huge. Fucking rock. I'm like, there's not too many things where I'm going to chuck dimes to the side, right? But yeah. when Roger Clemens walks in, Ah, uh, I mean, they, they didn't even exist in my world, and that was because of your relationship. And you were saying like, "Yo, like, well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know him that good, but he, yeah, I mean, he was." Uh, How did he end up there that night? I don't remember. I don't. I don't. I. 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 I barely remember. I don't. Remember, I don't remember a lot of that. I was twenty-one, man. That was twenty years ago. But uh, hey, but look, look at it this way too. I mean, you know, another UT guy. So you know, it's the fact yeah. that not only. Is he, you know, the rocket, but he's an alumnus and he's, he makes it a point to reach out to you. It's awesome. Well, I actually saw him uh, two days ago at a TriStar, like, you know, the card signing shows that you go to and sure. Bobby Mance and he's like the ultimate gentleman and sweetheart anyway. And uh, saw Rocket there. And I mean, like, he's just, he's just one of the best guys. I, I, he's always treated me with respect. Every time I've asked him to sign anything for my kids, he's offered. Actually, one time we played in the alumni game and he came. And on everybody's chair was a signed baseball. Everybody's oh. chair was a signed baseball. And then on my chair, because we had talked before the game about my sons, and he's like, how many sons you are? Like, do you have? And mm -hmm. I told him three. And there was like three helmets, right, with the, his like logo of his charity, like Rocket, whatever, Rocket Man or something. And they still have them. And they still think it's the coolest thing in the world. And I, I, I have always had a profound respect for the players, the superstars, the elite, the guys like, you know, Mike Trout was another one on my team. Um you know, my, my kids still have memories of, like, playing baseball in the clubhouse with Mike Trout. Like, just the guys that stay humble, the guys that don't, like, I just love that idea, that aspect of it. And But we did have fun that night. It reminds me, we were at Fenway Park, and I had my whole family with me. And we were actually with Peter Princey, who is our mutual friend. who We're here with in Arizona for the Phoenix Open. But thrill, dude. Out comes Houston. And out comes Mike Trout. And at this time, I, I, mean, I was done playing. I guess I was working at MLB at the time. Yeah. And this is 10 minutes before a game. Takes all of our kids, like, you know, both of these guys are like hugs and this and that. It was just, they don't make them, uh, they, don't, they don't make them like Trout. Like, the, right? There, there's, 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 it's so rare in today's era to have a throwback like a Mike Trout. What was he like? Well, he's just humble, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's humility. But you look at Derek Jeter, right? Like, there's class, there's humility, there's people that take the time, there's people that care about other people genuinely. But it's that humility that doesn't, they, they, you know, 
they're chasing greatness themselves, right? So the process of re- uh, of achieving that level of greatness, the process of getting there requires them to always be getting better, to always be thinking of something more, right? So that means that they themselves are have ne- they've never arrived. They've got their own confidence, and Trout's one of the most confident guys I've ever met. But he does it in a humility which allows him to interact with everybody just like normal people because he doesn't think of himself as any better or any worse. He's just trying to get better himself. And I think that in and of itself is what makes all the greats so special is they've got supreme confidence and absolute humility. Real yeah. quick, Thrill, uh, you know who else is humble? Our title sponsor, Bet Online. Can't forget to get in there. It's playoff time, and the usual suspects are heading to Vegas for the championship. And our partner, Bet Online, is your number one source for football odds, stats, trends, and lines with everything from point spreads to hundreds of bets on everything from the coin toss to the color of Gatorade. Bet Online is the number one source for your championship wagering. Head to Bet Online and join today to get into all the action. Bet Online, the game starts here. Drop a I few Alexander it. Hamiltons on him, baby. Woo! <laughs> he can. You can read an ad, bro. That was good, uh, dude. So that for, was solid for the you longest I mean? time. Like, I would never be able to deliver that, bro. We don't have like so they change their script every that was week. Good and their, their their script, in my opinion, all due respect. Bet online's unbelievable. You want to go fucking gamble? That's. That's, there you go. Oh, you can bet on two frogs fucking there if you if you wanted to. Like, I mean, it's, <laughs> they like, hey, uh, you know what? What would be that bet? <laughs> you know what? Two things. Two things. You know, Houston just hit on it. You know, it's it's the little humility type of thing. But you know, the guys who are studs, and I mean, just studs. You know, they know how good they are, and mm-hmm. they let other people talk about them. They don't need to go around patting themselves on the back and all that sort of stuff. All right. And so when you do bump into one of these guys and they go, hey, you know, I, I struck you out, you know, back in 93 or whatever. And I'm like, oh, OK, all right. Well, no, you one of them guys. Right. You know, so, you know, the the guys who are the studs just let people do the talking for them. And then because they went out there and they did their thing. So that's first off. So that was a great point, Houston. But then second off, we even brought it up in the chat room right here. We got a Michael Kowalski sighting for the first time in like freaking how long has it been kowalski has it been like eight months ten months what's it been yeah he, he's, dude, he, he's, flo- he's floating over there going through the food line but i love it yeah he's on there firing away it's been a minute man yeah kowalski picked me up at the airport today he took me to play some pickleball uh out here in az he went to a place called the pickleball What's it called? The, the was, did you ball. play the pickup games? Like where you put your paddle down? Did y'all so do I'm, that? It was well, wet too. It was rainy. I That's my style. Yes. I, I go try to find all the challenge courts. Really? In whatever city I'm in. <laughs> do, yeah. You, do you wreck them? I, I hunt the best. Yeah. Sometimes, you sometimes, you sometimes I get wrecked. Well, I mean, I've played. I haven't played a lot. I, I wouldn't yeah. know what I was doing. I, I, yeah. I, I, I would get you. smoked. Yeah. So now, so you. now you're, next, you're next to the freaking maniac of all maniacs, right? And he started breaking out this pickleball stuff on me last year. I'm like, oh, what the hell? What the hell? Now I got to figure out what's going on, right? So I actually watch it on TV. I might be on your side on this one because here's the thing, right? Like, I don't – I still am not sure if it's a sport. No offense. (laughs) Dude, it's (laughs) freaking – I know. Because, look, you can't – like, 
if you can if, if you can go from never playing it to nine months later being like one of the best in the world, yeah, which is happening, it's happening a lot with, with the tennis players. Well, Wait, but, okay, but you have if, to they're, if, if they're tennis players, right? Like, did you guys took see twenty years? But did I'm you see Mac, like, McEnroe and Sharapova go up against Agassi? Yeah, they're the best Brown? tennis players in the world. You you want to know who the best player was? Who? Jack Sock, the guy who was the actual real pro pickleball player. The other guy that's really good is James Blake. He was on their team. Both of those guys were the ringers, Dude. and then the the four others were men. But how? Dude, uh, it's, man, look, freaking, no, it's freaking badminton with a ball. Badminton You're playing ball. fucking badminton, and you're yeah. hitting it with a goddamn skillet. That's what well, you know. Bro, that's how they came up with the game. I was, well, I was researching the last the drop night. shots. I, I sit up there on TV. It's all the, 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 dinks. the, the, the dinks, dude. Yeah. We, we, it, you know what? The, the game needs to evolve a little bit for me no. to get super. It does. It doesn't. Bro, it, it, it is honestly, it's like baseball. It's the perfect game. Hey, hey, Josh is not baseball. Hey, Josh even came on on the chat room. Hey, look, I love you to death, EB. You're the best in the world. But I want to. If I'm gonna see pickleball, I want to see a hot chick playing it with a short skirt. Sorry, I ain't watching you. That's oh, that's it. I'm not saying they would dominate me, and I'm not saying they're not actually athletic. Have you seen the ass that's playing pickleball? Like, bro, everywhere you go, it is a fucking unbelievable how many hot chicks are playing. Well, I mean, Everywhere. I am single, so. I mean, yes, right. Congratulations yeah. on your divorce, man. What? Well, no, I'm not talking about that. Oh. Well, no, I mean, I, I, yeah, congratulations. Why is it just onward and upward when you're Well, alive? you know, look, no, my ex-wife is a beautiful human. We just went separate. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean. We, think about the kids that you've got to create. How many? Three oh, boys? Dude, we got three of the best little boys in the world. Exactly. Ripken, Ryder, and Rafe. They're my heroes, and they're my heaven. How, they, how, how are they doing? Dude, they're doing great. Oh, oh. 13, 11, and 8, and nice. uh, all boys. And uh, Ripken is, you know, teenager now, 7th grade. Ryder's in 5th grade. And, uh, dude, they're good, though. They're, I mean, they're real good. And Rafe is my youngest. And, and they're all different, but they're all unique. But it's, you know, I love being a dad. Dad, Being a dad is, like, what I live for. That's it. You know, that's that's literally all I ever do is if I showed you my Sunday schedule, you'd be like, it was from 9 to 7. But it was, uh, and Saturday I was at the ranch. But um, yeah, no, I love kids, dude. What do you do at the ranch? Have you shoot been? Have you, have you been to Deuce, Texas? We shoot sh- stuff. You shoot shit. Yeah, well, you, you shoot things. That have blow. you been to Deuces Wilds Ranch? No, I haven't. But you got to come about? to Texas. I mean, we gotta we gotta hook up. I'm only a state over from him. Where's well, your Where's you your place come. at? Where's your place it's at? It's not Texas? my ranch. It's not my ranch. Like like he said, I got divorced, dude. I don't have any assets anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where he do you ranch? Hunt, where do you hunt in Texas? You know, my buddy's got a my buddy's got a ranch. I've got a few friends with ranches that allow me that 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 you know, kind enough. But it's yeah. uh, right outside of Austin, man. He's got a big. Oh, bed. Nice. He's got a bunch of whitetail. He's got uh, and then a bunch of exotics. And so yeah. a lot of yeah. time we don't go out and shoot anything or take an animal, you know, especially after the season. But just the hang, you know. Wait, like, hold, hold on. When you say exotics, you mean like. Lions and tigers and shit. Oh, he has giraffes. <laughs> you guys are yeah. real sick motherfuckers, man. Hey, some of these, some of these ranches in Texas, man, they got like I don't know, 50, 60 different animals running around out there. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's it's called tributary, and it's literally it's one of the greatest places I've ever been. I mean, like I he, I'm very thankful that I get to go out there. But to me. The ranch, the idea of the ranch, well, what you, I mean, is it's like it soaks into your soul in a little bit, yeah. just being out there and yeah. 
You know what I mean? It's not. It's like nothing that someone from the Northeast, like Princey, would understand. You know what I mean? Well, and then, and then not only that, not only I that. One of, the, there, bro. <laughs> one of the guys, one of the guys on the uh, chat room, Tommy Luke. You know, he and he and his buddy Rob. They they want me to do you know internet and all that sort of shit up at the ranch. I go, no, 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 no. I'll go. I don't want it up there. I said because that's what I'm trying to get away from. I don't want it while I'm there. So that's my getaway, my calm down, my peace and tranquility. Do you bow hunt or do you or you I do it all? I do, do it all. Either. I literally do it I all. I haven't gotten to bow hunting yet. I'm not I'm I want to get into that. That's, That's a lot harder, isn't it? Significantly harder. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it depends on the length of the shot you're taking with a rifle. If you're taking a hundred yard shot or a two hundred yard shot, pretty easy. If you're gonna take a five hundred yard standing shot. I mean, yeah, that's, no. not, that's not yeah. easy. But hey, but you real. get you get a whole new appreciation, Houston, just because they're so much closer. And you know, at twenty yards, I mean, your hunt, your heart's trying to come out of your right. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like the the three two. You know, two out spaces loaded. You got the ball in your hand. You're like, <laughs> oh shit, oh shit. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I guess the strategy works. Then you just aim down the middle and hope. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Right there down the go. middle and hope. Well, check this out. I want your guys' thoughts on a buddy of mine. His name's Jason Henderson, otherwise known as Hendu. My neighbor up in Tahoe, I played high school baseball and football with him. And he's an avid hunter. And he went on a hunt in Africa. And he killed a fucking mountain lion. I couldn't kill a cat. But wait, there's more. With a spear. Oh, well, that's oh. Cool. So basically... Basically, basically, bro, so dangerous. You know how they do it? They fucking hunt the cat. They drive him up into the tree and then they bait him out of there and he jumps on you. And as when he jumps on you, you got to stick him right in his heart. If you miss the fucking heart, it's you, not him. <laughs> Woo! That's some kind of rush, huh? No. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be rushing to the airport, dude. So, oh, hey, uh, you know, we were, we were, we were just bullshitting here for a second. You know, Houston's been through the ringer. Uh, you know, he's he's prepared for the for the long grind and stuff like that. We got spring training coming up here in a little bit, and uh, I just kind of wanted your thoughts on this. Houston, please chime in on this. Our starting catcher, Patrick Bailey, played in 125 games last year. Right, the most he's ever played in his life. And he, he talked about how he was just absolutely wore to a frazzle. He lost 15 pounds, and he didn't think that he finished out the season the right way and all that sort of stuff. And Eric and I talk about it all the time. It's like, you know, you don't find those everydayers anymore, you know. And so this is the kind of situation when I come into a clubhouse, I'm like, look, dude, you know, you're being thrown into the big leagues here. You're going to catch. I mean, you're you, – all the pitchers want to throw to you. So you're going to be the frontline catcher out there. You got to take care of yourself. You got to take care of your body. You got to eat right. You got to do all that sort of stuff while you're on the road in order to make it through a full major league season. What do you guys think about that one? I mean, I, that, it's simple for me. I think it starts when they're young. And I think the difference really is mentality, right? I think they're so much more knowledgeable now. But, like, if you don't know any better, you don't know any better. Like, Jason Kendall was our catcher. And Jason was catching 150 games for however many seasons in a row. That doesn't exist anymore, does it? Well, it doesn't exist a lot because the organizations One. don't want it to. But also, too, you got to consider that, like, when they're 13 and 14, they're being told about recovery. 
Yeah. They're being told all these things. And okay, I don't know if they're throwing any harder right now. I would love to get the radar guns tested. Like I really would. Like I still I go back and watch Tom Seaver and Nolan Ryan and the ball exploding, and I'm like, that you can't throw it harder than that, right? Mm-hmm. Like like just to measure the time. But like so maybe the game is has gotten better. I think that I mean I look at the hitters today and I, I am very impressed. Like I see some of the balls that Acuna is hitting out of the park. I'm like, I don't want to throw that guy or you know, I faced Aaron Judge a little bit, but early on before they'd really figured it out. But the the overall mentality of toughness, I think, comes from a very young age when like no one told you anything about recovery. Well, so you just you just pushed yourself until you fell over over and over and over again, which is similar to what happened with me in college, right? Like no one told me you can't go three innings on Saturday and five innings on Sunday or two innings on Friday and three innings on Saturday and two innings on Sunday. Like, no. They, they, yeah, but hold on a second, dude. Did you ever have an arm injury? Significant? Uh, not to the end of my career. Exactly. Not 13 years. Yeah. I exactly. Mean, yeah. And guess what? You pitch fucking all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I We're mean, coddling these arms. We're teaching them to throw a thousand miles per hour. And then everybody's blowing them out, and we're letting them pitch once every blue moon. Well, I think none pitch- of the none of these none of these guys have any fucking clue how to how to sustain well, longevity. I think, dude. I, I think the pendulum will swing back eventually. I mean, I still, as a reliever, and I, I look, I think I can get them out with the best of them. But like as a reliever, it's hard to go in there and establish a rhythm. It, it just is. It's hard to do it day in and day out, seventy five games a year to go from I'm on the bench. To I'm going in versus this guy's gone six innings. He's gone 80 pitches. He's going through the lineup the third time. Like, give him the ball. Like, this guy's having a day and he's a superstar. Like, let him get the next six or seven outs. That's my philosophy. I know the game doesn't play that way anymore because of all the stats and the stat, you know. And I don't know all the breakdowns. What I know is as a reliever, you tell me I gotta go face two, three, four right out the gates. Dude, that's hard. It's hard. It's hard to yeah, do. No, I don't care who no, you are. That's, that's hard to do. But yeah. this guy who's in rhythm and going, and, you know, he's already got his confidence at, at yeah. peak level. He's gone six innings, one yeah. run, 80 pitches. But I also think that, I, I think that you know, you, you go look at Nolan Ryan or you, look, you go look at some of these guys who, like, literally took the ball and they were going to finish the game. And I think that when you start managing different from the front offices into the, the on the bench, I think it changes the mentality of guys. Yeah. Again, now you still see guys like Garrett Cole who want to take the ball and just never come off the field. And I think Verlander's similar. Like you've got some of these older, you know, not they're not necessarily Verlander's old, but like he's my age, um, which is impressive that he's still doing it. But I think that, you know, Will, you said the 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 point about catchers catching. You know, I think I really do go back to the 13, 14, 15, 16, where like they're like, I get, well, I need to recover. I get what you're saying. I get what you're I, saying. I so, in other words, you know, and then Eric and I talked about this a lot is they're being coddled at an earlier age so that when it's time to man up, it's hard for them to man up. All right. Yeah. And just so, mean- you, know, you know, I came from the mentality, you know, and Eric and I talked about this because he's directly right behind me, as were you. But it was, hey, look, if I came off the field, somebody might take my job. And that ain't going to happen. I'm staying out there on the field, you know. And especially, I am not coming off the field if I'm on a roll. If I'm on a roll, there ain't no way in God's green earth you're getting me out of the lineup. And 
nowadays we have guys that say, oh, I'm a little, I'm a little worn down. I'm a little, uh, can I have a day off? I'm like, you asked for a day off? I'm like, you gotta be shitting me. Well, I, okay? just, I don't think they're punished for it either. I don't yeah. think there's any, yeah. I don't think there's any sort of punishment. And look, I'm not going to say that, that, you know, it, it, it was better that I, I personally think the golden age of baseball was like, like 96 to like, or 90, 89. Like you just go look at the, I was watching the other day, the 98 all-star team. And like some of these, like, I mean, I saw that. Yeah, you saw that? floating around the internet. Yeah, floating yeah. around the internet. You know, that line Instagram, jeez. You know, and so, like, I don't necessarily think that I, even I played in the best era of talent, per se. But I think, I think you know, when you're – there's just something about playing, going out and playing eight hours a day when you're a kid that just develops the game and it develops your mentality, develops the attitude in a totally different way. But so much of this has to be coming from front offices that are just saying, look, like these are our assets and we're going to hold on to them and we're not yeah. going to push them and we're not going to break quick, them. Quick, quick, quick. Kids don't have a choice sometimes. Quick, Thrill, I got a question for you because right, I back in my day and which was, you know, still part of your day, we would have the goal of getting the starting pitcher out of the game. Yeah. That's and without was, a shadow of doubt. Right. Like, let's knock his ass out. Let's get in the bullpen. We'll fucking destroy the bullpen. Especially too. early in a series. Hey, dude, bullpen, exactly. Wait, all, all, exactly. Say yeah, whatever exactly. you want. And, and you're a reliever, so isn't it fair? Because you easily could have been a starter your entire career. No, starters but, are better. But starter <laughs> relievers are starters relievers are, better. Re- relievers are failed starters. Sorry. Look, everyone like, like that's a, that's the, the ultimately well, That's what Trevor Hoffman was. That's what Mariano was. Failed starters. Right? Like like I, dude, starters are better. Like I I I I was a closer turning over a lineup to having to throw him you multiple multitudes of I I couldn't have lived on the outside corner if I had to throw four innings in the big leagues. You know what I mean? Like just live there. Right. I, but I could with one in, right. So you, you get to pitch a totally different way. These guys have got, I, I, I sat and watched the bullpens of our starting pitchers on my, I, you know, here's another one. Here's another one for you too, Houston. And Eric and I have even talked about this because, you know, going around seeing the minor league teams and stuff like that, you know, if a kid, and it doesn't matter whether it's a starter, whether it's a reliever or whatever, they get in a little bit of a jam. Man, these managers are quick to yank them. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And and we'll we'll talk about it after at the end of the game. It's like, all right, look, I get it. You know, you wanted to win that game and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, that kid's gonna have to figure out how to pitch out of a you know balls to the wall situation. And you know, I, I think that you know, just bringing another guy in from the pen you know, as an easy fix instead of letting a kid try to try to man up and pitch out of a situation. Well, uh, you know, but you know what's hey. even I, – so I, I, I'm in, at the college level now helping at UT. Um, you know, we don't let our kids call our own game. But none of the colleges do. It's not like we're – it's not like we're doing anything different. But you, there's so many facets of the game that have been taken away from the players. It, it really is kind of interesting. We we let our fucking twelve year olds call games. Yeah, but like, that's because you're smart. It's <laughs> what's what's so amazing about this. They you learn better, the game. Well, we give them a game plan, right? When the big donkey comes up there and can hit a ball three hundred and fifty feet, we say hard in, soft away. I don't care. Hard in, soft away. Every other pitch, hard in, soft. Fastball ends under his mm-hmm. under his hands, breaking balls away. And if you hit them. I don't want our pitcher to hit him, but if we hit him, I don't care. 
But, like it's but, all it's all part but, of that's how you pitch the best hitters. Yeah. Period. It's but not to hard. Will, to Will, to your point about having to pitch out of those situations, right? Like it's hard to pitch tired. True. But that's something you have. No, no, no. I'm agreeing with him. You have to learn to do that. You have to learn to let that adrenaline build. You have to learn, like, I need to be just as good on my 88th pitch as I am on. Because, to the, okay, let's say this. It's July, and you've played 17 in a row. I don't know if they still do that. I know they've changed the schedule. But let's say they played 15 in a row, or they played 23 out of 24. And the last three games, we've just gotten our brains beaten in. We're still a winning team. But, like, the last two days, our bullpens had to chew up, you know, 14 innings. Now I'm the starter, right? My team needs me to go 85. They need me to go 85, right? And if I haven't ever done that, right, that like you you can give up 12, four or five runs real quick on 14 pitches when you're tired. You're throwing, you know, um, stuff that's not moving up there with, with no life on it. And I think, I, I mean, I'm going to let my kids, once they get above the age of like 13 and 14, stretch to 100. Fuck yeah. Because you know what? Like, I, I just, I refuse to look. I refuse to believe that there was a hundred years of guys that could do it. And now all of a sudden we can't. Right. Right. And I totally agree with it. And Eric knows because we had this discussion last year and it was a little bit after spring training, but I mean, these kids broke camp and you're talking about double A. I mean, you're talking about dudes that are on the cusp, you know, of being in the big leagues and they had them on a 40 pitch count. I'm like, Whoa, wait a second here. Yeah. I go, we just got through it a month and a half of spring training. They should have built up 75, 80 pitches and come out to shoot, you know, 75, 80 pitches. And you're cutting them off at 40 pitches. And that goes back to what you're talking about, Houston. It's like they're not building up. They're not getting that strength, that stamina. They're not getting to the point where when they got their butts in the wall, they got to pitch out of it. And that's what the greats do. You did it. I mean, all, all your predecessors is the fact that – all right, look, I'm scuffling. I'm having problems here. I got traffic on the bases, but I know that if I make a pitch, I get a double play, I get the fuck out of here. Well, I think the players, I don't think like the players are any less competitive, right? I just think they're not allowed to. Right? No, I agree. I totally agree. And, I and that's what Eric and I were talking about. It's fucking, and that's why Dusty Baker retired. He didn't want to have to deal with the nerds. Man, I actually saw Dusty the, the other day, too. He, yeah, he's right. Yeah. Because he, because. Yeah. Because Dusty knows that Dusty knows. He's like, you can't tell me after 50 years of intuition, of knowing the game, of feeling the game. It's like how many times, it's like I tell my sons this, when you're watching a game, because I tell them all the time about conviction, right? This idea of conviction. I was like, if you ever watching a game and you just know the pitcher is going to strike him out, 100% that pitcher is more convicted mm-hmm. than the hitter. And you ever been watching a game and you could just feel the hitter's about to crush Always. it? Yeah. The, the hitter's more convicted. Well, manage you, you, you know what you could tell by Pre, number one or presence on the mound. Yeah, presence. Like I, I watch a hitter take one you pitch, feel it. Just one pitch like like this. You, you watch a hitter take a ball, and you will figure out real fucking quickly whether or not that dude can hit. Yeah. But what I'm saying is the managers have the same conviction, and 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 and, and there's just you know, I've never been a manager. I've coached my children. And I know how many thoughts go through my head. I'm watching how he's stepping. I'm watching how he's looking. I'm watching how I've got 11 kids. I'm watching how they're all moving, how they're all stepping. Where's their confidence? Where's, you know, now I'm not coaching to win a major league baseball game. But like, if you've been a manager like Dusty Baker or some of these guys for 20 and 30 years, 
think about the, the, the amount of knowledge and conviction they have over some of these decisions and to take that away from them, in my opinion, is to shortchange the game itself because you, well, it's just these guys. You're losing are, the field. They're smart men. They're, 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 they're baseball. That's the reason they're leaders of, you know, when you see, when you see somebody having success real, why would you change? It's it's Andrew Chafin, Kowalski and I went to Diamondbacks camp a few years ago and we were talking to Andrew Chafin and we're like, so Andrew, like, you know, what, what's your pitching philosophy? He goes, well, yeah, I mean, Southern redneck. Well, if I throw a pitch and they can't hit it, I'll throw it again. I love it. And that. it's like, well, hot damn. How about that for a concept, right? If I throw a pitch and they can't hit it, I throw it again. Well, if I have a pitcher on the mound, if I'm a manager thrill, yeah. and this it's guy's getting out after out after out, I can tell you from a hitter perspective, if I'm over two going into my third at bat, and this guy has carved me up and kept me off balance, and now I'm going to my third at bat, and all of a sudden they're like, boom, let's pull him out of the game because they're scared what I'm going to do to him. I'm like, thank goodness. Yeah, 100%. I'm excited about that. Yeah, well, I mean, as a pitcher – you know, the biggest mistake you can make is throwing a pitch that you're doubting as you're about to throw it, right? And the best position you can be in is, you know, I just threw a pitch and he missed it by two feet. Why would I throw him something else? I, I don't know. Boom. Boom. I, I don't know why. Like, now, if God, I, I could tell you how many discussions I have like that, I'm like, right? you just threw him a freaking bastard sinker. He missed it by a foot. Why are you going to a breaking ball? Or I'm another sinker, dumbass. You know, he wasn't looking for the first time. He ain't going to hit it again. Let's go. I literally, I told a guy the other day, because we were, we were talking about, like, scattering reports, and I was like, look, like, there's some guys that, that they're just they're good enough to hit all your stuff, and you know that. But most guys have holes. And then most guys have holes that day. Most guys, some guys have holes that week. You know, the players that don't make it have holes for a month. You know what I mean? They can't fix whatever. But, like, there's certain guys that have holes. And sometimes your game matches up perfectly with their hole. Like, don't try to be a complete pitcher in that moment. If 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 I faced a guy, there was one time against the Twins, and I don't, I I, I think I threw seventeen changeups in a row to end the game. It's my third best pitch, but my slider wasn't working great that day. I was throwing like 89, 90, so like the wind was blowing out. So I had a wind in my face. I could throw a changeup, but like I had a great feel. But I matched up against these guys against the changeup. Like it just was the perfect matchup of three different guys. So I just kept throwing it, right? Like, and they say you can't change up off a change up, but at the end of the day, right? Like the wrong pitch is the pitch that that guy can see. And if he swings and misses by a foot, he didn't see it. So you yeah. know what I mean? Like if you yeah. see it, I don't care if I'm throwing 97, you're going to hit it, right? Put it this way. Eric and I have this conversation all the time. The best pitch in baseball is a change up by far. And so – it is. You keep throwing it as long as you locate it. I keep throwing the son of a gun. The only one that the only one that's that's gonna that have problems are the ones that you're gonna leave up and out over. But other than that, you locate it. Keep throwing the son of a bitch. All right. While we're on this subject, EB, we talked about this last week. All right. Our man Ross Stripling. All right. He remember he said he's throwing a new pitch, a death grip or death ball or whatever the shit it was. So basically, Houston, he's throwing a freaking cement mixer, all right? He's throwing a slider that he doesn't want to break a lot, but he's going to take some velocity off so he gets 
some downward like bite to it. Under it. Oh my god! I'm. We were we were reading it and we were laughing and we we're giggling and all that it's like shit, a right? Backup slider is yeah. He he's right? wanting to throw a backup slider that just bites a little bit, and I'm like, okay, whatever. And he has got this freaking name for it, right? Well, well they, now they, 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 that's literally last week. Now the freaking Giants <laughs> traded his ass. Uh, he's in he's in freaking Oakland now. Here, go throw your fucking backup slider over there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, dude, I don't know. Just like throw. I it. mean, bro, you, your slider was your best pitch. Yeah, I don't want it to back up. I mean, no. like, throw it back. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When it backs up and they swing and miss. Well, yeah, yeah. But yeah. the difference between a backup slider and a hanging slider that. is fucking this much, right? You can't control that. I mean, dude, <laughs> look, look, look. As someone, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna. I'll put my control up there with anybody, ever. Um, you can't control that. I mean, you, I can conceptualize how I would throw it, how I would like dive into the ball and pull my elbow across and get under it. And then right as I'm going to let go, like, like pull it down, but not break my wrist and try to get the ball to like come out yeah. like this, yeah. but it looks like I'm coming across. Yeah. The ball. That's it. It sounds to me like I'm going to tear my lat off my shoulder. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, like, 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 there's got to be some fluidity to the motion. Yeah, and yeah. Tear, tear your lat, and then get your get your wrist up under the ball and trap everything. Oh my God Almighty! Yeah, but, anyway, like, but anyway, but anyway, so you wanted to break big and break sharp. I mean, I'd take Ottavino's yeah. breaking ball over a backdoor backup slider all day. No shit. And so we were laughing about it last week. Now, now he gets traded. I'm like, oh, that's that's about perfect. So, uh, another guy too. Another guy too. And the reason I'm bringing him up, they just picked up uh, a kid by the name of Ethan Small. He was the uh, he was the Brewers' first round pick in 2019. He's a Mississippi State guy. Yeah, all SEC uh, pitcher of the year, all American that year, first round draft pick. And uh, in the it was in the fallout of the Corbin Burns trade and all that. They they freaking turned him loose, and the Giants picked him up. So. That might be another left-handed piece to the Giants' bullpen this year. Thrill. I, Jorge Soler was a name that was floating around with the Giants. They said they're in talks with the slugger. That was the latest rumor. Is that somebody that you think could have an impact for the Giants this year? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking about a big dude in the middle of the lineup. You know, a guy with a lot of power has driven in RBIs in the past. And that's, I mean, it's no secret we need guys that drive in runs. I mean, we, we can't keep living with guys that hit 15 and drive in 47. I mean, that's not going to happen, all right? You need you need somebody to step up and drive you 80, 90, 100 every year. And, uh, you know, if, if they if they get Solaire, great, you know. But, yeah, I mean, he, he's, they need, he's got a they chance. Need somebody. Yeah, all exactly. Right, all right, Houston, there's four major free agents still left on the market. Mm-hmm. You have the Cy Young Award winner, Blake Snell. Snell. You have Cody Bellinger coming off a rebound great, great year, year come back with, here. with the Cubs. Yeah. You have Jordan Montgomery, who was terrific for the World Series champions mm-hmm. last year. And then Matt Chapman. Chapman, man. I love still Chapman. Still without a job. I mean, this is a platinum glove. Platinum. Third baseman. If you look at his numbers offensively, they're what they are, but not bad. He's going to give you enough offense. At what point are we going to see, number one, these guys sign? It's fucking February 6th. We're almost there, yeah. I mean, they're starting. What's going on here? 
I don't know. I mean, look, like I, I, I want all those guys. You know what I mean? I like, I like Snell a lot. I really, I think, I mean, I, I can't believe he hasn't signed. I can't believe somebody hasn't just like, you know, backed up the truck on him. But Chapman to me is just one of those guys who are like, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know how much, you know, all the stats and metrics really are factored. What I know is he might take three or four outs or, or, or hits, but added outs yes. in a game on yeah. balls that balls that other very, very good big leaguers don't make. Yep. And, and to me as a pitcher, man, that is valuable. You know, across 27 outs, and there is a good chance, especially with the way guys are pitching now and how many, you know, I I just, I I think he is absolutely a valuable asset to a team. But why why are they not signing? Thrill, a question for you. I dropped that on you guys earlier. I dropped that on you guys earlier. Usually when something like this happens, you go back to the word collusion. I've seen it a few times now in the big leagues, and there's no reason – there's no reason that those individuals that you guys just pointed out have not signed yet. Absolutely no reason there. And especially for a guy in Houston was alluding to it, a guy like Chapman, he he's not priced out of the market. So why don't you just go take a gamble and see what happens? I mean, they're taking a gamble on these, all, all these other idiots that are hurt and shit. Go take a gamble on a proven third baseman. That's a gold glover. So the question then becomes, you give Otani $700 million. You give Yamamoto $300 million. You're Snell, and you're looking at this, Houston. I mean, you're a former, you know. He's won two pitchers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wait, hold on a second. Now, you're telling me that I'm worth $120 million, and this motherfucker is getting three hundred, and he hasn't pitched a single goddamn day in the big leagues? That's a problem. Yeah, it is. Right? It, it, well, I mean, yeah, it is. And I don't know what the behind-the-scenes conversations are, but I think, you know, he's earned it. And I think it, it's it's a bad message to all the other guys. Uh, it, it's hard to be as good as he's been, you know? It's hard to be it, uh, over a very long, consistent period of time. Again, I don't know what his numbers are, but uh, we kind of mentioned this well, like the, the idea of marketing, like how much is that starting to factor in as the game is getting more global, as the game is getting more, you know, the outreach and, and, and like how, you know, if you're doing like a, a, the old school Q rating, I don't know what it is now, yeah. but the idea of relevancy and you're talking about selling jerseys and selling caps and selling, you know, season tickets, right? Okay. Blake Snell, great on the mound, but does it, but does he move the, and, and, he should. Well, the whole Cy Young Award winner, lefty pizzazz. He's out there coaching twelve hey, baseball teams. I, 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 I'm like, win- I have, a, winning- I have so much <laughs> respect for this guy. Winning, it's but, incredible. But winning, winning, like, like I used to say this to all my teammates. I was like, guys, winning solves all our problems. Someone's got to drive in the runs. Someone's got to score the runs. Someone's got to get the wins. Someone's got to get the saves. Someone's got to, the manager's got to do the right thing. We've got to all stay healthy, right? Winning solves all the problems. So like, give me a winner, right? Like, like going into the Super Bowl, you're talking about Brock Purdy and how he's been knocked down all year. He's not this good, even though his yards per catch and yards per completion, dude wins, right? Terry Bradshaw won. Tom Brady wins, right? Like, None of those guys I just mentioned are the biggest talents, but they win. They find a way to win. Blake Snell finds a way to win. Like he finds without a shadow of doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. 
and he dominates. Like, so he wins and dominates. So there are some guys that will dominate. Well, y'all can understand this. How many pitchers are y'all face that dominate, but you still find a way to beat them? You know what I mean? Like, they strike out 10, but they go seven and give up three. You know what I, I mean? Told, I told Eric. No, I told Eric there were guys, and, and you've seen it, Houston. I know EB's seen it because we've talked about it before, but there were guys going into the game that you went up there and you said – all we need to do is keep it close because he's going to make a mistake and we're going to blow this thing wide open. And perfect example of that was Sid Fernandez, the left-hander from, from the Mets, you know, sort of big roly-poly looking guy. Dude, awesome, awesome stuff, right? But if you stayed close to him, he always made a mistake, boom, late in the game, cost him the game, always. Yeah, and see, the and the other side of that is like Jared Weaver, right? One of my teammates, Weave. He is one of those guys, like, he walk off the mound, six innings, five runs. Kept us in the game. We Just won. Figure it out. But if the score, but if it, if we needed him to go eight innings and give up no runs. He'd do that too. He'd do that too. Yeah. Like, he rose to the game. He felt like, the, the, like, he might not have his best stuff, but we're four innings in and we haven't scored. All of a sudden, his stuff gets better. Because he now, it, like, he's a winner. Like, winners win. And I just think you surround yourself with a bunch of winners. And there's reasons that some teams with a lot of great players don't win too. You know, that's a mentality in the clubhouse. Winning is a very, very hard thing to do, especially consistently. And when you find some people that know how to do that, that know, like, what was it? Tom Brady, I saw a quote he said the other day. He said, "All we, we wanted two things on our team. Good teammates and guys who valued winning. <laughs> right? Like, that's it. Like, and if you weren't one of those two things, we got rid of you. Mm -hmm. Good teammate and valued winning. But knowing how to win, knowing how to win, and knowing you know how to win, those are skills. Those are actual skills. In my EB, EB, you and I talked about that. You and I talked about that oh, a yeah. lot. I mean, you know, just, dude, we've been around those guys. We've been around those guys that weren't on the same page. And they're, you know, you, you talk to them in the back of the plane. You're like, hey, man. You need to you need to jump on board with the rest of the boys. I mean, we've been doing this now for six, seven years in a row, making the playoffs. You know, having a good winning seasons. You need to jump on board. If you don't jump on board, I promise you, brother, I'm gonna get your ass out of here. Well, you know, you can go do it somewhere else. A Giants, you know, perfect example, Buster Posey. Yeah, like there's a winning player. Yeah, right. Like, and I tell my sons this all the time, guys. Confidence and belief. Those are not emotions. Those are not intangibles. Those are skills. Think of all the thoughts you think that build your own confidence. Think of all the thoughts that you think that create your own belief in yourself. Now flip all that around and you can destroy it all the same. Yeah. They're skills. It's a discipline. And the, the one thing to me that all the greatest players have in common is that discipline to quiet the voice when it's negative, right? I say the greatest players, you know, they turn their peaks into plateaus and their valleys into ditches. You know what I mean? And these guys, they have this skill that is belief and they have this skill that is confidence and they know how to nurture it and they know how to bring it to a team. Buster Posey, prime example of a guy who shows up at San Fran, what do they do? 10, 12, 14, winning World Series, not with the best teams. Hey, Thrill, uh, Yo. you're, you're one of the best to ever do it in the most clutch situations ever. What allowed you to be able to have success? And I don't want to lead you to this answer, but I, I'm curious. 
because when you watch the best in the most pressure packed situations, it looks like the game slows down. Oh God. Yes. Without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I mean, you know, first off, you know, you and I did it. Houston did it. I mean, it's, it's the repetitions, you know, him throwing the bullpens, us taking the bat in practice, you know, taking the ground balls, you taking the fly balls, going back on the ball, coming in on the ball, whatever it might be. But then from a hitter standpoint, it's just the fact that I've done it for so long. I know what I'm doing. Now I just got to concentrate. And it's amazing when you concentrate how, like you said, everything sort of slows down. Take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. Everything slows down. And, man, the release point is there. You see the ball really good, and everything else is second nature. It's what I've been doing in batting practice for the last 10 years. I'm going to let the big dog eat and then, you know, try to find the green grass out there. That's it. Uh, Houston, mm-hmm. I, uh, toughest – you mentioned you faced Aaron Judge. Yeah. You played with Mike Trout. Did you ever face him? I did. I think I faced him twice. Okay. Yeah, he, he, the first couple years, though. T- toughest hitter you ever faced. <laughs> well, this is a two-part two answer. So, um, there's well, one guy who I never got out, which was Correa. He's five for five off me. But I was oh, – oh, and oh, every – he has two infield hits, and then he has three absolute rockets. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like liftoff balls. He never hit a homer, but he did hit a ball in Houston – but it wasn't my toughest at bat. I was ahead of two every at bat. Sure. He just battled me and battled me. Um, and, you know, early on in my career, a guy was Michael Young, was a guy that's so good. Oh, right? so good. Just sure swing, quick hand, simple approach, spread out, um, tough to get out, could, could, just knew how to extend an at bat. Um, Pedroia had great success against me, but again, not, but the one guy, my kryptonite. Now, if you go look at the stats, you don't see a dominant thing. But I'm talking fear. Like the only guy, I, Matt Stairs, bro. Ha! Come on! <laughs> I'm telling you, his swing matched up perfectly with my game, dude. Perfectly. Just my little baby 89, 92 sinker to the middle and his little loop right at the end. You know what I mean? And my backdoor slider. And it just like, I, I, I mean, dude, so one day we're in, we're, this is the beginning of season in May and I'm on the Rockies and my life is on the line. Like, like I just got traded from Oakland. I'd lost my closer job to Ziggler. And like my career was like, I, I came out hot in 05 and 06. And then, just, you know, seven and eight were like lackluster health, but also performance, just average kind of years. So anyway, I get traded to, to Colorado, and I've now lost my closers job in Colorado in the first month in April because the ball was coming out of my hand, poo-poo. And anyway, <laughs> I have it at bat. I got bases loaded, nobody out, and up walks Matt Stairs, bro. And so anyway, 3-2, I throw him just just the changeup where I just manipulate. I was willing to rip my shoulder off my body just because my life was on the line, right? Like he hits a grand slam, and, like, they're, I'm done. They're retiring me right then. Anyway, he, he screws himself into the ground, swings and misses by the grace of God. After the game, he's at Capitol Grill, and I run into Joe Blanton, who was his teammate. Yeah. And he was like, bro. 
your bro, your buddy got so lucky. <laughs> it was like he was like that, he was like it was one of those balls. Well, he said it. He said I talked to him about it later. He's like when you threw me that changeup, it looked like a beach ball coming at me, and I swung. I thought I was gonna hit it out of the stadium. And I don't, it was one of those ones you just swing, you don't know how you missed. Yep. And I, yep. I said it was divine intervention. Like <laughs> it was, it was the only way. But he was like, he literally told Joe Blanton, I own him and he knows it. And my, and I did know it. And it wow. was, a, but I think he's like four for 11 off me career, four for 13. But every single time his bat touched the ball, I got a loss and a blown save every single time. Thrill. I'm going to reverse the question back. To- to you and say is there one pitcher throughout the course of your career we've talked about this a few different times that when you saw him out of the mound it was like oh fuck (laughs) i I already told you you know and and houston fits that mode perfect it's anybody with a good changeup. i mean you know it's the best pitch in baseball we said it a minute ago you know I know that if you're facing a Maddox or a Glavin or Jamie Moyer or John Tudor, you know, I know that I have my work cut out for me because they're going to do a great job of changing speeds and they're going to locate specifically down. Um, So a good change up, a specific guy, EB, you and I talk about it. Look, when you're in the middle of the lineup, you face everybody. You face everybody's number one, number two, number three. You face their closer. You face all the relievers. So there's not a guy that I'm scared of, but there's a guy that I know that I have to do my work better. And that's that guy, guy with a good changeup. Yeah. If you just, if you pin your ears back. All right. So, so in my era, all right, Houston, this is for you. So we were a lot of guys. I mean, a lot of guys, 92 to 94 sinker slider guys. That was my bread and butter, dude. You, you, if you tell me that dude, I've never faced him before. That's a sinker slider guy. I'm like, oh, Hang on a second. Let me run to the bat rack here. You know, so hey, that's well. That's the AWR, the average white right-hander. But you can hey, keep hey, your hand, you hey. can keep your hands back so well and still get there and then throw your hands at it. That was I love watching because I watched him hit a lot. You had to watch him growing up playing dude, for the I, Rangers, I, dude, right? I, I I I traded a Bo Jackson card for a Will Clark card. Hundred percent to Scott McMahon when I was five years old. I'll never forget it. The Dude, Bo Jackson eighty-seven Donners. It, it was the one where he's sitting in the dugout. You know what I mean? And uh, and I just like the, my my friend Will, his little brother Will had a had a Will Clark card, and I didn't have a Will Clark card, so I was like, I I wanted one, and I had like four Bo Jackson cards, and I was like, you can have. Two Bo Jackson cards. I didn't care, so I traded for one of his cards. Yeah. <laughs> hey, did, 100%. Did, did, I would do it all, but I grew up watching Love. I mean, my dad would put, you know, back then it was two channels, WGN, right, and TBS. And so my dad would always put, like, a little post-it on my bedside of the pitching matchups that day, like like a little, you know what I mean? Really? And, yeah, and so I'd wake up in the morning before you go to work and you put a post-it. So I would know to come home, like, do I want to sit down and watch that game or I might go out and play in the woods or something? You know what I mean? And uh, so like the game that Maddox, the famous game where he threw 78 pitches, I watched the entire game, like watched the entire game, like sat there and watched the whole game, made myself a little ranch salad. And yeah, like it was, uh, I, dude, I would go home and if there was a, you know, back then you had Glavin, you had Smoltz, you had Millwood, you had uh, Avery, Steve Avery, yeah. you know what I mean? Obviously Maddox. And so, you know, like that was just the hit. So I went home and watched baseball all day long. And obviously 
those two channels is the national league. So like I watched, well, I, I watched you play a ton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you even, you even mentioned it, you know, I mean, and Eric knows everybody in the chat room knows, cause we've talked about it before, but Millwood, Millwood was my uh, Matt stairs. Was he? So, uh, yeah, he, he probably he was huge. Yeah. Oh, he was. He, and his ball he, had such ride, man. Dude, it was he, just ride. He threw, he threw me so much stuff, and it was just that guy, you know. I mean, where and Eric and I talk about it. It's like there are guys that you know make a mistake, and you never miss it. And then there's other guys that make a mistake all the time, and you follow it off, pop it up, you know, whatever. And you're like, what the hell's going on? You know, and Millwood was my guy. I don't know why. Yeah, he was good hitting, dude. Right? Like, like I remember. No, he was good for like three. Dude, he he shoved for three or four years. Didn't yeah, I, I mean. I, I faced, I'd have to go back and look at numbers. No, no, I he was, no, Houston's I right. Faced, he, he, he had like the, 17, 18 wins, like three yeah, or four years was, in a row. And the whole time he's doing that, I'm just. <laughs> yeah, but fuck, dude. Like, Kevin Millwood was on the mound. But I think, I'm looking forward to that start. Well, because you don't have to face Avery and Maddox and Smoltz and Glavin. But I mean, dude, there was a two-year period where there was a period in there I vividly remember where Millwood, like, like I mean, he was. Oh like, yeah. Dude oh yeah. That staff. Oh yeah. Like, Without a shadow dude. of a doubt. Dude, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, like. I mean, the, dude, that '95 team, '92, '93, '94, '95, '90. Like those Braves teams were like. I just loved Ron Gant, dude. I just loved those biceps. Were those how big? <laughs> I just love. Did you play? Did you play with Ronnie? What? You didn't get to play with him. Did you? Oh no, I, he's, fuck, I just, he's fucking great. He's I, one of my favorite teammates of all time. Was he really? Oh yeah. Oh, that's cool. What? Like one of the best. I did love you that. Did you ever uh, cross paths with Ron Gant? I mean, obviously played. Well, I mean, yeah, on the field all the time. I mean, you know, he's at first base. We talked. We talked shop. He was. He was a great dude. I love Ronnie. Great dude. I love Ronnie. All right, Thrill, any, anything else you want to get off your chest as we uh, both have dinner sitting here staring hey, us in the thank face? Thank you for having me. This is fun. We, I mean, you yeah, come yeah, good time. You want, I like man. this. Hey, you can come on whenever you want. This is what we do. We cut up, talk shop, and then if there's some news on here, we, we get after the news a little bit, but it was pretty slow this week. We'll have you back on, too. The other thing we do is that, like, we'll be sitting here at home and all the fucking games on the background. Yeah, I've seen that. And we'll just be talking games as, yeah. as, as they're going. Why hey, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Bernsey. What the shit are you doing outside when it's freaking 22 degrees or zero degrees or whatever? He's You're playing in the snow he's doing. He with shorts on, on, no shirt. What is your freaking problem? Cold exposure is incredible for your health, Will. So oh, my God. When you shock he's the right. system by going out into the freezing-ass cold. proteins there's, from your you, liver the and the shock, brown fat. You got it. Houston's got it. That's it, man. I, I, I'm, lo- I'm looking for that next just just electricity entering my body, and fucking the cold does it for me, man. Hey, you got issues, dude. You got issues. You say, <laughs> you say I'm from fucking backwoods, Louisiana. You're in fucking mountains of Truckee, California, fucking running around in your underwear in the snow, you dummy. Oh, I love my life. Oh Thrill. yes, you do. Yes, you do. Hey, you said, man. man, thanks so much for coming on, man. Hey, this, thank you awesome. for this was awesome. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Give me the time. I appreciate it. Uh, Shit, yeah. I, hey, does 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 uh, Houston? I don't think Houston understands or knows or gets exactly how we send this thing off. Thrill. So I'll go ahead and let you do it. 
Hey, for everybody in the audience, we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, see ya! See ya!